0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
1: Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, committed to assisting businesses impaired by COVID-19. Trustmark is now providing small business loans through the Paycheck Protection Program. More information at Trustmark.com slash PPP. Member FDIC. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. I'm Kevin Farrell, along with Dr. Nancy lotter anderson president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. There's been talk, but no action, on raising the federal minimum wage. Recently on Money Talks, we had some passionate callers express their opinions on the minimum wage, so today we'd like to discuss the topic for the full hour, between your personal finance questions. So our guest today, state economist Corey Miller. Contact us by email. The address, it's money at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Nancy. Uh, Let's start with you. Uh, What uh, financial news caught your eye this week?
2: Well, it's a big news week in finance because we have a new stimulus package and we're going to be seeing money going out to people. Some have already seen that deposited in their bank accounts. It's going to be larger for most people, especially if you have children, because it is 1400 per adult and 1400 per dependent going to those taxpayers if you fit the income ranges, but the income ranges are smaller. And uh, we're also seeing some other breaks, some other breaks goodies in the stimulus package. But we're also seeing that the IRS is kind of weighed down with all these changes. So they're processing our tax returns slower. And if you're looking for a refund, it may take you longer to get that money.
1: Uh, Anything else in the stimulus package that uh, caught your eye?
2: Well, one big thing is the unemployment, and um, there was a tax break given to unemployment. Here on this show, we've talked about all last year, if you're getting unemployment benefits, that's going to be taxable income. This new law says 10,200 of that will not be taxable. So that's a big break for a lot of people who are still searching for work. And those unemployment benefits, those enhanced federal benefits and
1: extra $300 a week will now continue into September. So good morning, Ryder. I understand you've got retail sales on your mind.
3: Yes. So um, the Census Bureau puts out, you know, a study of retail sales, kind of a monthly basis, and it's all a little. The numbers are sometimes a little preliminary, but uh, for last month, you know, what was quite interesting, of course, is we had the 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 ice storms across the South and just. I always find it very interesting when you when you see phenomenon out in the world like a big weather event that how it really can impact the economy. Uh, so for last month, it was kind of unexpected. Uh, well, I guess before the ice storm would have been unexpected. We had a decline overall in retail sales, a pretty severe decline in in things like dining out. Um, still some declines in in uh, you know uh, furniture and electronics things people are not thinking about buying while they're iced in their houses uh so it's pretty pretty broad across the board um but they are revising up estimates for for next month um and january's numbers got revised a little bit too uh and but all of these numbers or i should say most of these numbers are a lot better than um a lot better than they were kind of, you know, mid last year. Um, February last year was, was the last year we were not was the last month we were not completely under or partially under any lockdown. So that was the last really good report. Uh, and we're getting back to those numbers is, is what's important. But I just find it really interesting when you see uh, the kind of weather or outside phenomenon really having a big impact on economic reporting.
1: Um, Is there any correlation between increasing vaccinations and the economy, Nancy?
2: Oh, definitely. Um, I I feel it myself. And Mississippi is one of two states now that is totally opening up their vaccines to anyone who wants them. I'm fully vaccinated. And um, the phrase that I borrowed from somebody else, it's liberating. And uh, this feeling that you can bust out and now you can go have dinner in a restaurant. I'm still being careful, by the way. But um, it does feel like people are loosening up, and we're going to see that in our retail numbers. And I thought it was interesting uh, Ryder talking about this weather event. If you're a retailer, you certainly know on a sunny day you're going to do more business because people are out and about and uh, willing to shop. But combine those vaccines with this stimulus money that's going to be coming into many people's pockets, and we're going to start to see a surge in that number.
1: This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Now, there's been talk but no action on raising the federal minimum wage. Recently on Money Talks, we had some passionate callers express their opinions on the minimum wage. So we're going to talk about that for the full hour today between your personal finance questions. And to help us do that, we have a guest. It's state economist Corey Miller, the director of the University Research Center. Corey, thanks for joining us on Money Talks.
4: Uh, Thank you for having me.
1: Uh, Tell us if you would a little bit about your work at the University Research Center.
4: Yes, as you said, my title is uh, State Economist and Director of the University Research Center. Uh, The primary responsibilities for the state economist include making economic forecasts for the state. Um, Another is participating in the revenue estimating process for the state in terms of the the general fund. Uh, By law, the state economist and the commissioner of revenue make a – together make a recommendation to the Joint Legislative Budget Committee a couple times a year. Um, that process is a little bit more informal uh, in that we, we form that recommendation by consulting um, other agencies as well through, a, through an informal group. Um, the University Research Center also uh, takes on a number of, of research projects. Uh, Many times, when the Mississippi Development Authority is offering incentives to a potential new firm entering the state, uh, the economists from the University Research Center will evaluate that and determine, um, you know, what will happen to the state's uh, investment in that. We also take on projects. Uh, looking at particular uh, economic issues in the state. Recently, we've been looking at um, changes to the income tax, individual income tax in Mississippi. So uh, we have uh, several things going on like that. Um, Right now, the University Research Center consists of myself and uh, senior economist, uh, Dr. Sandra Collins, and an administrative assistant. So uh, we've kind of been working from home, like a lot of folks, for um, several months. So it's, it's been an interesting time to, to, to be state economists right now.
1: So we're going to try to talk about the minimum wage uh, this morning, and we're hoping that maybe you can give us uh, some background and some you know, minimum wage 101, I guess. Uh, how long has there been a minimum wage?
4: I think you generally recognized that the first, one of the first successful attempts at setting a minimum wage was in the in Australia in the state of Victoria in, in the late 1800s. Now, this wasn't exactly a minimum wage law like we think of it now, but this set up uh, arbitration boards to resolve labor disputes and try to prevent uh, labor strikes from occurring. Uh, in the U.S., the there were efforts in the early part of the 20th century to uh, set up minimum wage laws, but many times these were... Uh, met with judicial uh, resistance, I guess you would say, because they they found many of them unconstitutional. When it finally happened, it was part of the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938, part of President Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal. Uh, He attempted to include a minimum wage in the National Industrial Recovery Act of 1933, but the Supreme Court uh, ruled that unconstitutional. But then in 1937, uh, the state of Washington had tried to set a minimum wage, and the Supreme Court upheld that case. So uh, that set the stage for the minimum wage in the Federal Labor Standards Act the next year.
1: So, in addition to the federal minimum wage, I guess states can also have a, a state wage, a minimum wage. Is that correct?
4: That's right. Uh, historically, the states were the first to try to implement a minimum wage. Uh, Massachusetts tried to set up one in 1913, or they did. Um, and then by 1923, you actually had 15 states that had set up uh, minimum wages, but the Supreme Court uh, ruled those laws were unconstitutional that same year. Uh, in, in recent years, we've had uh, many states uh, set their own uh, minimum wages above the current federal uh, minimum wage, of, which is, of course, $7.25 an hour, where it's been since, since 2009.
1: What is a sub-minimum wage?
4: A sub-minimum wage is something that the Fair Labor Standards Act provides for employment of certain individuals uh, that are below the current federal minimum wage. Uh, These include students, um, also individuals with with physical or or mental disabilities uh, that might affect um, how much they they could earn. Um, The the idea is that uh, this would prevent... Uh, or reduction of opportunities for employment for for these individuals
5: if you
1: have a question this morning you can send an email to money at mpbonline.org we're talking about the minimum wage with state economist cory miller what's mississippi's minimum wage we'll have that for you next and we've got a caller on the line you're listening to money talks on mpb think radio
0: Larry Morrissey with the Arts Commission, reminding you to tune in for the Arts Hour. We have in depth conversations with Mississippi artists, writers, musicians, and other creatives. The Mississippi Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 on MPB Radio, or download it as a podcast.
1: To Money Talks, our website, MoneyTalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone to all of the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy lotter Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Tav Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Employers in Mississippi subject to the Fair Labor Standards Act must pay the current federal minimum wage of $7.25 per hour. Our guest today is the state economist Corey Miller. We've got some calls to get to on the line, but first, Nancy, I think you had a question.
6: Yes,
2: I have a question of Corey. Corey, why is Arkansas's minimum wage eleven dollars an hour, while ours is seven dollars and twenty-five cents an hour? And is it possible for us to study what happened in Arkansas with their hike, as we look at what we should do here in Mississippi?
4: Well, yes. As you mentioned, Arkansas does have a higher minimum wage. I mean, that that is up to. Uh, individual state governments. Uh they're the only state in our in our region that has one. Um and, and that is something we could we could take a look at uh, potentially uh what impacts that uh higher minimum wage is having on on labor in Arkansas because Arkansas and Mississippi are very similar in two, in terms of uh population and, and labor force. So yes that could be an interesting uh, uh study.
1: All right. uh, Got some callers on the line. Let's start in Jackson with John. John, thanks for holding on. You're on the air with us now. Go ahead.
7: Thank you, sir. One of the arguments I frequently hear against raising the minimum wage is that it will wreck the restaurant industry and drive the fast food business into automation. Has any of this, in fact, happened where the minimum wage has been raised, and would the southeast be a special case in these matters?
1: Corey, any thoughts on that?
4: Pardon? Yes, that is that is uh, one of one of the strongest arguments um, against the minimum wages is, is that it's going to increase unemployment, um, particularly in uh, those food service sectors, because labor is such a, a big part of. Of their uh, total cost, um, as far as how much it's affected uh, employment in those industries, I think we have seen a little bit of a move to automation um, because we've seen more, and, and some of this may also be related to the to the pandemic as well. Um, firms such as as McDonald's using more uh, automation, automated devices and, and things, just because of. Uh, uh, cost and convenience, and yes, I would say that in the southeast we probably would be affected more because we tend to have, at least in states like like Mississippi and, and Arkansas, more uh, lower skilled workers that work in those in those industries.
1: Uh, but, Corey, I guess, as Nancy suggested, sometimes other states might be a good, you know, testing ground that that, uh, that states, if they're considering raising a minimum wage, can look to maybe contiguous states and see how it might have affected uh, their economies.
4: Yes, absolutely. I mean, their experiences are certainly something we can uh, look at and learn from. All
2: right. Um, Kevin, I would just say that uh, in going back and looking at this issue, it had been a few years since I looked at it, I was really surprised at um, the low percentage of our total workforce that actually makes minimum wage or less. Um, Back in the 70s, it was almost 14% of the workforce made minimum wage or less. Now that's less than 2%. So we're not talking about a large number of people. Yes, if we look at the southeast, that percentage might be a little bit higher, but I would love to see how many people are we really talking about now.
1: Corey, any thoughts on that point? No,
4: I'm, that's an interesting question. I, I don't really know the, the, the answer, particularly Mississippi, as, as to how many of of our uh, workforce are, are making minimum wage.
2: I would think that's an important data point for us to know before we consider whether we're going to raise it or not and what the effect will be. Of course, we're always looking at are we raising people's wages uh, versus are we then um, hurting job openings? so that we're having this offset, and we're not helping people overall. So as we look at, should we raise the minimum wage, again, knowing how many people in our state actually earn that would be an important thing to know.
1: We've got a caller on the line, another caller from Jackson. Bob has called in today. Good morning, Bob, go ahead, please.
5: Good morning, I'm from Hattiesburg. Um, Sorry, go ahead. No no problem. Uh, With regard to the minimum wage, has there been any consideration to either a change or the impact of, of uh, raising to $15 on people that are retired? People that are on Social Security get um, checks that are maybe uh, relate to $6, $7 or $5 or $6 an hour. That's way below the minimum wage. Aren't they going to get left in the uh, in the dust of a of an expansion uh, in spending by all those that would benefit from a minimum wage? Has there been any indication of changing um, the Social Security minimum wage? I'm
4: I'm I'm not aware of...
5: Go ahead.
2: Well, I'm just going to jump in and say Social Security does have a cost of living adjustment. And so every year in the fall, those Social Security benefits are raised. Our minimum wage does not have that's that cost they, they,
5: they have an adjustment, but the, the if you look at anybody's Social Security or most people's Social Security wage, it's significantly below the minimum wage on average if you total it out.
2: Well, I don't think that's comparing apples to apples if I am retired and i have uh other income sources or i have the opportunity to earn elsewhere so i don't think that's a fair comparison i would come back and say my biggest problem with the minimum wage is it is not adjusted for inflation it has never been adjusted for inflation and so that's why we have a minimum wage that's stuck at 2009 levels
5: i totally agree with that and i understand it, but i uh, i think that you have a dramatic, a, a significant part of the population that would not benefit from this change, uh, but would see the um, concurrent price increases um, go into effect uh, in all the normal things they consume day in and day out. I, I just think it's well, something I, that needs to be considered.: uh, when Yeah, um, I, I agree in with the, you because
2: we know that if we raise the cost of labor, then those businesses will pass on those costs to the consumers. And that's the concern. But I come back to looking at how many people are really earning the minimum wage. What will the impact be? I don't think we even know the answer to that. All
1: right. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Bob, for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with state economist Corey Miller. He's helping us understand the minimum wage. Next up, let's go to Lexington. Don is on the line. Good morning, Don. You're on the air with us.
7: Hi, good morning. I'm um, coming into the conversation a little bit late, but um, there was a time in my life when I had to survive on minimum wage, and it was a while ago. Does minimum wage now actually be able to support people? That's It never has, and it has always just sort of been there, but it's not really a living wage. What, what are your thoughts on that?
4: I would agree that it's, it's not a living wage. I don't think it really... Uh... Ever has been. I think the the highest purchasing power the minimum wage had was probably in the in the late 1960s. Um, I think a part of the movement to increase the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour it, is is part of that's part of the motivation for it. I think.
7: Well, I agree. <laughs> to be honest, when I started uh, started work, minimum wage was three dollars an hour. So. Um, It's nice to see it's brought up, and people have brought up the fact that, yes, those costs will get passed on to the consumers in the end, but if we're going to call it a minimum wage, I mean, it needs to at least be, you know, livable. And by the way, how how many people does that actually count? Is that a house of four people with one person earning or two people earning that? Um, How is that sort of determined that it's actually, quote, a minimum wage?
4: Well, the minimum wage itself is just an hourly rate set by law per per worker. So it's not, I don't believe it's anything more more than just that.
6: Uh, Don,
2: um, about 40% of our minimum wage or less earners are under the age of 25 and so yes you can look at this you can multiply that out with a 40-hour work week but we're also looking at a segment of those people who are not full-time workers they're part-time workers they're teenagers summer jobs those kinds of things and here again we haven't had a really deep dive into looking at who is making the minimum wage what are the numbers and um, how do we support those people who are depending on that For a full-time job. They certainly need more than that to live. But if we're talking about teenagers, it's a different ballgame.
7: I totally agree. Um, And especially if the families and people have support networks in other ways, then then that's that's doable. Um, So anyway, my whole point I was calling is to say you know, I, I did have to live on minimum wage for a long time, and it it didn't it didn't work. I mean, I was working 70, 80 hours a week just to on two minimum wage jobs just to you know pay for food. But anyway, um, thank you for your time, and I appreciate the conversation.
1: Thanks, Don. Good to hear from you this morning. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Got another caller online. But first, uh, Corey, we said that uh, employers in Mississippi subject to the Fair Labor Standards Act have to pay the federal minimum wage, which we said was $7.25 an hour. Are there employers in Mississippi and in other states that are not subject to the Fair Labor Standards Act?
4: I'm not I'm not sure on that point, to be honest. Um, Beyond beyond what I mentioned on, you know, the, the minimum wage applies to, or the subminimum wage applies to individuals in those uh, particular categories, like like students and those and those with disabilities.
1: But I guess maybe it's safe to say that when we talk about this, we're talking about almost anybody who has a, a job. Then I guess, other than what we talked about with the subminimum wage, right. Okay. Uh, Before our next break, let's go to Steve, who's calling in from Memphis this morning. Good morning, Steve. You're on the air with us.
7: Good morning. Thank you. Um, You know, I I really do agree that minimum wage needs to be raised, but I've really wondered whether there shouldn't be a, a graduation for different areas, meaning $15 an hour in Mississippi or Memphis is a really different wage than it is in California and New York. Um, and I thought it would be a lot more fair and perhaps palatable to, to graduate it. I know that makes it complicated, but HUD's got an annual listing of every county in the United States and what the average, I guess, household income is there. So I just wonder if it wouldn't make sense to graduate it for, for different areas, and uh, different economies of the country. Thanks.
1: All right, Steve, good call. Thank you for that comment. Anyone uh, want to comment on what uh, Steve uh, added in?
2: I would say it's already graduated because different states have their own higher minimum wages Uh, District of Columbia is the only one that I have seen that has a $15 an hour minimum wage right now but certainly New York California I mentioned Arkansas every state is free to adjust that based on their cost of living in that state
4: yeah I believe California will have a $15 minimum wage uh, maybe next year or, or in a couple of years, then fairly
5: soon.
3: It, it seems to me that, you know, uh, a, a lot of the folks who, you know, advocating for not raising a minimum wage on the federal level, it, you know, should perhaps direct some of that energy towards raising the minimum wage on their state level. Because, I mean, that does address Steve's concern that, yeah, Mississippi is a lot lower cost of living than, you know, California. And even places within California are more expensive than other places within California. So, you know, but the fact that a lot of states, I mean, so many states aren't raising it or they've only raised it at just a tiny bit. You know, that helps create the impetus for, you know, well, if my state isn't doing it, let me get the federal government to do it. And so if you don't want the federal government to do it, get your state to do it.
1: We're talking about the minimum wage. What's the minimum wage in our neighboring states? We'll tell you about that next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio.
2: old car is kind of like that hairstyle you had in high school really cool back in the day but that old car is still cool when you donate it to mpb think radio go to mpbonline.org for details then sit back and enjoy the ride now that's cool
1: Monday Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. There is no state minimum wage law in Louisiana, Alabama, and Tennessee. Their employers are subject to the Fair Labor Standards Act, and they must pay the current federal minimum wage of $7.25 per hour, as is the case here in Mississippi. I think we've got a caller to get to, so instead, let's go to Kathy, who's on the line with us. Good morning, Kathy. You're on the air.
6: Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I guess I just have to come in. I know you hear the thing about a company, the minimum wage was raised. And then, what about the company? It'll be harder for them. They might have to increase the prices. But the question is, what's more important—the individuals are the companies? Because just like with McDonald's, are different ones. You have them that's popping up. They're all over the place. Okay, so they're they're progressing. But what about those individuals? people working there, and even if someone was making $8 an hour at a 40-hour week, $8 times four, that's $320. Then for a month, that's what, like, I guess 1200 or something like that. But when you take in having to buy food, um, for yourself or for your family, paying your rent or paying for a house, um, paying utilities, um, all of those things, providing your natural things, you know, for your clothing and your cleaning supplies and all of that stuff. I mean, it seems like minimum wage just sets people up. They're trying to take care of a family, but what other choice do they have? They uh, Most of them may go on, uh, you know, getting uh, food stamps are getting uh, Medicaid or whatever. It's a joy where you if you are making enough where you're able to buy the food for your family instead of getting assistance for it. That's a joy that people get. It's a joy to be able to pay for your own insurance and to be able to pay to go on a vac vacation and treat your family once a year or so for a vacation. But a lot of people can't afford that and that's why you see a lot in Mississippi where there are people that are living with their parents or with their grandparents or the whole you know aunts and uncles are staying together because they can't survive on a minimum wage so what's more important the companies are the individuals and I'll I'll hang up on that and I thank you for taking my call
1: All right, Kathy. thanks for your call. Um, And I guess, Nancy, that's kind of what, uh, you know, the intent of minimum wage laws was, was again, as we said earlier, maybe to try to give workers, uh, you know, the bare minimum a a, a livable wage.
2: Right. And I certainly understand that. One of the um, problems I have with not raising the minimum wage is that a lot of companies are dependent on the government to subsidize their workers. Uh, She mentioned people who are making so little that they qualify for other government assistance. And that doesn't seem fair, because that means we're all bearing the burden of that. Um, At the same time, I would say to Kathy that we need to think not just of of one person, but we need to think of the group. And that's where it gets really complex, and we think about, well, what will happen to all of us if the lower earners' wages are raised? Are we all going to be paying more? in uh, for goods and services and and it will not even help us all Um, so we've got to weigh all of those so that's again where I go back to we need to look at how this is parsed out we also know American companies um, have the biggest gap between the highest earners and the lowest earners if you look at European companies if you look at Asian companies you don't have quite the difference
1: between those two groups Visiting with us today on Money Talks is state economist Corey Miller. And, Corey, you know, we've been talking about this idea of does the minimum wage uh, help or harm uh, workers and the economy. Historically, has there been any research done as to effects that an increasing minimum wage has on the economy?
4: Oh, yes. uh, Minimum wage is one of the uh, most researched topics in economics, I would say. Um, I would say that most of the evidence is the minimum wage has probably been marginally successful in alleviating poverty. Um, It may keep some workers out of poverty, but it also comes at the expense of employment for other workers. Um, Many of the poorest individuals uh, don't have jobs, uh, obviously. Um, And and in terms of research, I can think there's at least one study that compared low-income workers in states that – Increase the minimum wage with states That did not increase their minimum wage they didn't find any real differences In, in wage growth between those, those Two groups over about a 25 year period So
1: And I guess part of the discussion Too is not only increasing Of a minimum wage but then uh, How much of an increase And maybe how quickly um, Those are I guess uh, Issues that uh, lawmakers uh, Need to consider when we talk about this
4: yeah, and I would point out that uh, the minimum wage is not—it's certainly not purely an economic question. It's, it's also a, a political question, and that's why um, we end up with um, some of the rates and, and things that happen and don't happen with the minimum wage that we do, because it's, it's a uh, political question and it gets—there uh, are compromises made. I, I, Reading up on the minimum wage, and the original minimum wage was proposed at in 1938 was proposed at 40 cents an hour, um, and there were objections from members of Congress from the South that that was too high. So they settled the original rate. They settled on in the Fair Labor Standards Act was 25 cents an hour. So uh, it's all always been a, a political question, probably as much or more so than than the economics.
2: And I want to say that is a dadgum shame. You know, you're an economist. You should be looking at data and use that data to sway our politicians what will be good for all of our people. Um, And that goes back to, can we raise it? How will it affect jobs? Who is getting the minimum wage? It should not be a political question.
4: I think it's inherently a political question because you're talking about government involvement in, in, the, in the market, and it's not my position as as state economist to, to advocate for particular uh, issues. It's to provide uh, information to decision makers so they can uh, use it as, as they see fit. Uh, we have done studies in the University Research Center on the effects of, of raising the minimum wage in Mississippi. We have a report that was done in... Uh, 2014 some years ago but it's still on our website about raising the minimum wage to $10.10 in Mississippi and, and we found that um, and this was done by a, a researcher who's already retired now uh, but we found that uh, you know there would be some some small uh, decreases in, in employment uh, from uh, raising the minimum wage in Mississippi over time uh, and we also found some uh, somewhat small but fairly negative co- uh, impacts on e- economic growth uh, and, and income in the state. So we have looked at it, and, as again, as I stated, we, we tend to just make uh, evaluations of policies. So that that's kind of my role.
1: Uh, Corey, historically, have there been many efforts uh, in the Mississippi State Legislature concerning a uh, minimum wage, maybe even creating one, or, or uh, well, I guess you can't raise one if it's not there, but creating a state minimum wage here in Mississippi?
4: I, I'm not aware of of such efforts. Um, I don't think they've, certainly not in recent years, they haven't had much traction in 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 Mississippi legislature.
1: We'll continue our discussion about the minimum wage. What's the story of the minimum wage in Arkansas? We mentioned that earlier. We'll bring that up again. Uh, We'll have that for you as you listen to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio.
2: This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks.
5: Thanks
1: for listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspective. As we mentioned earlier, in Arkansas, due to a ballot referendum in 2018, employers of four or more employees in 2021 must pay a minimum wage of $11 after scheduled increases were implemented in 2019 and 2020. We've been uh, visiting this hour with state economist Corey Miller. And Corey, I guess we touched on this a little bit earlier. Are you aware of any maybe groups petitioning for a ballot initiative in Mississippi concerning the the minimum wage?
4: I have not heard of uh, any movement uh, to get something like that on the on the ballot or, or either through through the legislative process. Um, certainly not not, not recently.
1: Uh, just curious, and um, uh, you were telling us uh, some of the the work that the that you do. Um, if if a lawmaker was interested in minimum wage legislation, could they come to you and say, "Hey, could you research A, B, and C for us?"
4: Absolutely, we do that kind of thing uh, all the time. Um, and if if they've got specific um, questions or, or or a proposal, we can, we can take a look at it.
1: Very good. We've got some calls to get to. Let's start on the phone lines again with Robert in Corinth. Go ahead, Robert. You're on the air with us.
7: Hello. And you may have touched on this earlier. I had a quick question about the minimum wage. And I believe it should
1: be raised at $215 an hour. And my question is, if it's not and if they
5: have to be subsidized, how are people supposed to survive $725 an hour?
1: Uh, Corey, what are, I think, are wages subsidized at all uh, in in the United States? So I think uh, not
4: in hum- terms of an actual wage subsidy.
7: Um,
4: uh, 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 we have things similar to to a wage subsidy, like a like an earned income tax credit, um, but but no a- actual wage subsidies are are very. Uh, Difficult to administ- administrate from a from a practical standpoint. We haven't seen much of that uh, uh, implemented uh, in in this country or or other countries. So.
1: Ryder, you had a thought.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, we kind of address the subsidies in that, you know, kind of the benefits for lower income workers are necessarily going to people who are underpaid or paid, you know, paid just minimum wage, barely over minimum wage, um, you know, range from all things from, you know, food stamps and housing assistance to even things like the earned income tax credit, which is one of the biggest ways uh, that we give money to lower income workers. So, you know, uh, people are always can You know, we say, oh, no, it's going to affect uh, overall prices, it's going to cause overall inflation. I mean, you've got to realize we're already—we're already paying these through some mechanisms. You know, we may not be paying the equivalent of $15 an hour through a lot of mechanisms, but there are a lot of ways which our money is is already going there. And and so, you know, the question is, you know, when, when folks talk about, oh, is it fair to give someone on this? Is it fair to give someone on this? Well, at the same time, you know, is it fair for the taxpayers to subsidize workers at, at, uh, at, at who, who aren't paid enough? You know, is it, you know, pick an employer who, who pays a substantial amount of their, their workforce minimum wage? Is it fair to us to consider uh, to continue subsidizing that business? Um, and while yes, you know, uh, if more you know more people spending more money on the same goods, uh, we would anticipate that leading to inflation. We would anticipate that leading to uh, raised prices. But it, it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't be say a dollar for dollar match because we're not talking about. We're not talking about raising everyone's wages. We're talking about people who are um, are spending on you know kind of things they need. It's not necessarily um, it's not necessarily the same as as the kind of broader inflation that we've seen uh, from the past, particularly in the past year of uh, um, that sort of inflation.
1: All right, Robert. Thank you for calling in from Corinth this morning. Uh, we've got another caller on the line, so now we will speak with uh, George, who's in Greenwood. You're on the air with us, George. Go ahead.
0: I really appreciate this very rational discussion, but I noticed a slippage in the use of terms. The purpose of the minimum wage was to set an entry-level wage for people getting their first experience, their their training on the job. It is not. It was never the purpose to be a livable wage, and so. Let's make, let's keep that distinction and, and avoid conflating the two concepts into the same thing. If you if you try to turn the minimum wage into a livable wage, then you erect, you you make that minimum wage a barrier that keeps out the the fresh tenderfoot from getting his entry level job. Um, where he he, you know his first experience his training
1: all right uh, George good call Uh, any reaction to uh, to George's comments
2: well I would just repeat what I mentioned earlier uh, which fits with what he's talking about when 40 percent of those people earning minimum wage are 25 or under then those are entry level those are part-time summer jobs teenagers starting to enter into the workforce and that's where we need to have a conversation about how do we still keep that door open for those people, and acknowledge that there are some people who are using that for a full time job as adults that may need some assistance in that respect.
1: All right, George. Thanks for calling in this morning. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Our guest this hour is uh, State Economist, um, the State Economist of Mississippi, Corey Miller. Uh, Corey, uh, historically, again, do you know how the they came upon the wages that they said as the minimum wage? We now it's we know it was, I think, from two thousand n- nine. You said seven dollars and twenty five cents an hour. Any thoughts uh, on how historically lawmakers arrive at a figure?
4: Well, as I mentioned, you know, early on, it's always been uh, you know part of a a political debate. Um, I think there are. There are recommendations from certain groups that that lawmakers um, may, may latch on to, to and advocate. Obviously, the, the fifteen dollar uh, number has has really caught on here in the last uh, five to ten years. So it's it, it's usually a question um, along along those lines as, as as to what determines the the, the number that, that Congress or the rate that Congress ends up. Um, approving
1: and just got a, about a minute left and, uh, again is there any research or studies that show that the movement of workers that were would move from maybe areas of the country or states with a lower minimum wage to that which had a higher minimum wage
4: i don't think we've i've seen much research that that shows uh, anything along those lines i've seen some research that talks about um uh, when you have a, a, of course, we also have a number of cities, major cities, that have set their own minimum wage as well. Sometimes you will have individuals, according to some research, that that have that leave those cities because the higher minimum wage has reduced uh, the number of employment opportunities. So, uh, but by and large, I don't think we've seen much movement across uh, state lines due, due to minimum wage changes.
1: All right, that's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, one way to go is to go to moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks on your preferred podcasting app. Our show is produced by Liz Gill. Our call screener is Java Chapman. So for Dr. Nancy lotter Janderson, Ryder Taft, and state economist Corey Miller, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, committed to assisting businesses impaired by COVID-19. Trustmark is now providing small business loans through the Paycheck Protection Program. More information at Trustmark.com PPP. Member FDIC.
0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.